Welcome to The Grow Show, powered by Steel. On The Grow Show, we share ideas, tips, tactics, and insights to help you grow your landscaping business based on our team's 40 years of experience running a landscaping company and working with other owners and their teams to do the same. New episodes are released weekly on Wednesdays. Without further ado, here's your host, Marty Grunder. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever the case may be. This is Marty Grunder from Grunder Landscaping Company and the Grow Group, and you've joined the Grow Show, powered by Steel. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a terrific treat for you today. Uh, joining me from outside of Denver, Colorado, is New York Times bestselling business author and my friend and buddy, Mark Sanborn. Mark, how are you? Marty, I'm great. It's so good to be with you. It's always good to be with you. We've shared many laughs over, I guess, what would be almost 20 years. I remember when I met you. I was at the National Speakers Conference, National Speakers Association Conference in Cancun, Mexico, and I was sitting in the airport to go home with my wife, and you walked a- across the, the uh, alleyway there, and I said, oh my gosh, that's Mark Sanborn. He, he wrote the book, The Fred Factor, and he's a terrific speaker. Man, I should go up and introduce myself to him. And my wife said, well, why don't you go up and introduce yourself to him? And even though, Mark, as you know, I'm a pretty confident guy. I'm like, ah, he's not going to want to hear from me. I mean, what the heck? So I came up to you. You probably remember this. And I said, hi, Mark. I said, I know who you are. Big fan. I said, I've read your book. I said, here's my book. I said, you know, if you're really bored, ha, read it. Maybe we could talk sometime. And we exchanged pleasantries for a moment. And to my shock, you reached out to me afterwards. And that formed a friendship now where you've helped me with my speaking business. You've spoken at Grow. We'll have you back at Grow at some point. And you've just become a buddy. So I'm grateful for you. Thanks for joining us today. Well, you know, you've been a great friend over the years. And yeah, I remember that Cancun Airport, it, I think, was one of the few times NSA met outside the United States. And, and you and Lisa were there. I've been to your house. I've met your kids. So you're an right. old and, and dear and valued friend. By the way, I'm in my home office. You know, you and I were talking before the show. I used to have an office. I sold it about a year and a half ago. And so for color, you'll hear my little yappy dogs in the background. They're about five pounds and they sound like ferocious Rottweilers. So if you hear dogs yapping, that's that's what you're listening to. Maybe the next time we visit on the gross show, we'll have you bring the dogs on and we'll meet them. (laughs) I'll introduce. Let's 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 get down to business here. I want to talk today. You've written several books, but my two favorite books are The Fred Factor, which is in its 20 year anniversary this year, which is just really hard to believe. And then the other one that I absolutely adore that we read here at Grunder with our team is you don't need a title to be a leader. And and, and what I want to talk to you today about, first of all, the Fred factor. Tell us where the idea came for the Fred factor. Give us a little bit of the premise for the book. I'm sure there's some on here that haven't read it. By the time we're done, they're going to want to go out and get it. Talk to us a little bit about the Fred factor, Mark. Well, the good news is I write uh, little books about big ideas. Some authors take a little idea and complexify it and blow it up. I do the opposite. I try to distill it down to the essence. I'm a big fan of Occam's Razor, which says, make things as simple as possible, but no simpler. And many years ago, after I moved to Denver and bought my first home, I met my postal carrier. His full name is Fred Shea. And we're still friends to this day. And he did such an incredible job of delivering the mail, which is, let's be honest, a very simple task. We're not talking about a high level of, uh, of rocket science or sophistication. And yet he proved that it's not the job you have, but how you do the job that matters. 
And I started telling the story and so many people resonated with the story, often not believing it could be true, that I decided to write a book around it. And then from that story comes four principles. I, I did write a sequel that goes a little broader and a little deeper called Fred 2.0. But the essence of the book is, is in four key points. First, that everybody makes a difference. That neutrality is a myth. You know, if, if you meet somebody in the marketplace who doesn't help you or return phone calls or engage, won't engage you, you don't think they're neutral. You think they're indifferent. And we all know that indifference is the number one killer of business. But what's really important about that, Marty, for your listeners, especially in the green space and beyond, is the first job of leadership is to prove significance to the people on your team. Tom Peters, in his last book, he just retired, you probably read that, at the age of 80, he's had a, an amazing run and a lot of impact. Tom quoted me when I said, people who don't feel significant rarely do significant work. And that goes back to that idea that if people don't understand how what they do really affects others, whether it's a, a teammate or a customer or whomever, they probably won't put in the effort. And so a good leader is able to show people that they do matter, that they do make a difference, that they can choose, and this is key, choose to make a positive difference because if they try to opt out, by default, they're making a negative difference. So everybody makes a difference. And that is, if, if people listening have kids, tell people that, tell your kids they make a difference, not they can, because that sounds like they have a choice. Like they can, you know, go through life choosing some days to and some days not. We have to be intentional. And, and too often today, I think, kids aren't taught that. Amen. Uh, secondly, it's all built on relationship because I spoke yesterday in Las Vegas to Cal Tire, largest independent tire dealer in Canada, one of the largest in North America. And I, I said this to them. I said, you know, you, you and your competitors sell the same tires. What differentiates an undifferentiated product is the relationship you have with the seller. People often ask me, you know, what's the difference between a vendor and a partner? You know, because often you hear this, we, we want to be your partner. Financial services firms are, are keen on you. And I'll say, well, a vendor is somebody you share an economic transaction with. You purchase something from them, they sell you something. A partner is someone that you share an economic transaction and a relationship with. One of the hottest topics right now, and you know this, Marty, our friend Dave Horsager owns the market space is trust. Uh, trust uh, nationally is at low tide when it comes to organizations. And by the way, I, I think sometimes uh, we, we get that wrong. We say people don't trust organizations. They don't. They trust people in organizations. Patton said, you know, we, we fight the battle with hardware, but we win the battle with people. And so you often will find employers saying, we want you to build relationships with our customers. And the problem with that is they probably haven't been taught how. Very few of us grew up in, in, with a relationship course. We might have got a little premarital counseling before we got married, but we don't, you know, and Nito says this so well, our friend Dr. Nito Cubain at High Point, he says that expectation without education equals frustration. And if you tell your people, hey, build relationship with customers, even if they want to and they don't know how, they won't be able to do it. And in the book, I talk about seven basics, the seven B's of relationship building. And that, that's the second concept. The third is probably my favorite just because of the way I think. And that is you can add value to anything. And it doesn't necessarily have to cost a nickel. I've spent the last, this is my 37th year as a professional speaker full time. 
And I've spent the last 37 years teaching my clients how to add value without necessarily spending money. Sometimes it does require money, but I'll say money is what you throw at your customers when you don't have any good ideas, right? You lower your price. That's a way of throwing money at the customer or you buy on something. But the really clever people figure out how to add a little bit of value that differentiates them. Now, there is a, a pizza, Midwestern pizza chain there in, in Ohio. I don't know if they're still around, so I'm not going to mention their name. But I spoke at one of their meetings many, many years ago. Right. I remember this. This is awesome. And, and, I, and, and you know, they were talking about pizzas. And again, pizzas are a little bit like tires. Yeah, some pizzas taste better than others, but we're not talking French food here. And I said, here's what I'm going to recommend you do. Send all of your delivery people out with a little bag of candy. And when you knock on the door, if there are young kids in the house, they will always come to the door with mom or dad. That's the nature of kids. Ask the mom and dad if it's okay to give them a piece of candy. Then if it is, give them a piece of candy. And from that day forward, whenever mom says, let's get some pizza, they will want to order it from you. Just like you and I grew up wanting to go to McDonald's. Because we got the McDonald's toy. Now, that's a little bit of a different age and era, but the principle hasn't changed. And it's the little things. I always like to say it's the little things that make a big difference. And then finally, the fourth is reinvent yourself every day. I said it yesterday and I've said it before. You know, if you're a leader, don't look for somebody else to motivate you. Don't don't look for your, your employer. Don't look for your employees. Don't look for your spouse. Leaders motivate themselves. That's a skill of advanced leadership is knowing how to stay motivated, how to stay inspired, having a deeper sense of purpose. And and, and I'm a capitalist, you know that. I got to tell you, if it's only about the money, you will eventually hit the dead end money wall and you'll go, all right, I got all the money now. So what? I got no reason to enjoy it. No way to spend it. I haven't benefited anyone else with it. So, you you know, to me, I would say inspiration, which if you're managing millennials, my friend, inspiration is so much more important than motivation. Motivation is the rewards that you get. But inspiration is motivation to the power of purpose. And and digitals and millennials, 83 percent of them, I wrote about this in my last book, would rather do work that matters and be recognized by their employer. And, and, you know, for as much as people complain, and by the way, younger generations complain about old ge- older generations, vice versa. Let's quit complaining and let's focus on what is admirable. And in this case, what's truly admirable is if you can create a higher sense of purpose for the people that you lead, they still want to be motivated. They still want to be paid fairly and, and get the benefits. But you've just created inspiration when you've added purpose. I love it. Everybody makes a difference. It's built on relationships. Add value to anything. Reinvent yourself every day. You're making me think. I just had three different electricians come out to my house to give me a proposal for a generator. And it's a long story, but I haven't decided whether or not I'm going to do it. And it's just been amazing the difference in the performance of all the people that came to the house. There's certainly one clear ahead of everyone else. But it just made me realize how, what an impact service can make. When I was speaking yesterday to a small group here in Dayton, I asked, given the choice, would you rather go to Chick-fil-A or Taco Bell? Which, what, what do you think was the overwhelming choice of what people said? Sure, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. And I said, because the food's better? And they said, well, no, the attitudes are. 
And I just don't think it's that difficult to stand out in the sea of sameness today by being kind, by being polite, by doing all these little things you speak of, making a difference, having a relationship, adding value, reinventing self, yourself every day. What are you seeing out on the road as a teacher and a speaker? What are you seeing as a consumer? What advice would you have? Because the overwhelming majority of people who have joined us today, Mark, are owners and leaders of landscaping companies. How does being a Fred at your landscaping company make your company better? Oh, I agree with our friend John Maxwell. You know, everything starts and ends with leadership. That doesn't mean that leaders cause everything that happens in their organizations, but they are responsible for everything that happens in the organizations. And what it begins with is making, I mean, this sounds, you know, it sounds so simple. What we do, the, the products and the services we deliver are often very complex, but how we sell and deliver them doesn't need to be complex. First, people want you to tell them the truth. That means they want you to be knowledgeable. You know, I'm, I'm having a deck replaced, which is going to cost me about half of what my first home cost. But right. the guy that, you know, I'm talking to comes highly recommended. And, and frankly, he's expensive. But compared to the other bids I've got, they were kindergartners and he's a PhD in decks. And I have to believe that, you know, part of the reason he is able to charge a higher price is not just his service, but his knowledge, and more importantly, his ability to explain it to somebody like me who has a hard time fixing a broken stick. This is not my my strong suit. It's also about, and you know, it's Larry Wingate made it famous. Say what you'll do, do what you say. I can't tell you how many times I arrange for a bid or a proposal that either the person doesn't show up or they show up and I never get a proposal, which is even worse. So why did you waste an hour of your life and my life and then not send me a proposal? Marty, I'm going to tell you something. And you know how people say, well, I know this happened because it was a friend of a friend. I know this guy personally. He's one of my friends here in Denver. He runs a pest control company, right? Independent, not, not one of the big ones. And he needed a, a, a technician. You know, he needed a service person. And he lined up. This was probably maybe the end of last summer. He lined up 12 candidates for a Monday. I always likes to interview on Monday. And he confirmed either by phone or email over the weekend with all 12. How many showed up on Monday? One. None. None. Nobody. Unreal. And I empathize with people who say it's hard to get work because there are people that have a hard road getting work. But any more showing up would have probably landed the job. And yet... I, I don't understand where how we think that a lack of initiative can benefit us. And, and, the, and the key is, is, is A, keeping your commitments, whether it's to your employer or to your customers. Do what you say. Say what you'll do. Very simple. And the other thing is be nice and be helpful. It takes no more time to be nice than it does to be a jerk. Same amount of time. And, and I don't understand why people get edgewise. I like people that give me money. Now, I like some people to give me money more than others because in addition to giving me money, they're friendly and fun. But you know what? When you give me money, that to me is a contract that says, short of being abusive, and I'll make an exception for that, you don't have to work to get my favor. You, you've curried favor when you sign the check. And therefore, I'm going to work awfully hard to be civil and courteous to you. And... That seems to be lost. I, I, I really believe, and I haven't been able to quantify this with data, and 
as an economist, I hate to say things that I can't demonstrate with evidence. There is, I'm pretty sure, a movement among larger companies that will say, you know what, we're going to lose business with bad service, but we've run the numbers and the algorithms say we'll still come out ahead. I think that we are now seeing, and I've, I've worked with a guy, I've tried to buy furniture from a company who makes all their money in their legal department. They deliver damaged and broken furniture. And then when you refuse it, then they litigate for canceling your order. And I'm very tempted to mention their names, but they have more lawyers on staff than they do customer service reps. So I, I really think that, that there are, are some people who reach the conclusion that, yeah, so we lose some people. Now, here's the caveat. And that is, if you target anybody who can, can fog a mirror and you will sell your business at any price, that changes everything. You will not be able to maintain margins delivering a high standard of service and paying your people fairly if you're a bottom feeder. Now, there are ways to uh, be profitable in the lower end of the market. That isn't my expertise, and I know that's not what you focus on either. It's about, it's about being paid fairly and being paid well and over-delivering on the job that you do. So, you know, it, it isn't hard, but I think it isn't so much that it isn't hard. It's just people don't know it isn't hard because they don't try to do it. Yeah, see, the, the way I like to explain it, Mark, it's very easy to understand the steps you need to take to be successful in business. The implementation is hard. We have 90 people that work here at Grunder Landscaping Company several three-person crews, some two-person crews. The third guy doesn't show up. It's going to put us behind. We're going to delay the next one. We got to have rapport with our clients so they'll deal with some of that. I want to share a story with you real quick, and then I want to ask for your response to, to a statement. Every morning, we have a huddle here in the morning of, of all of our production people. And when I'm in town, I go out in it. And yesterday I went out in it and they read the shout outs that we had from the prior day, which is something we religiously do because one of the things I've realized almost age 55, uh, running this business almost 40 years, you're going to get ahead a lot more with compliments than going out there and ripping somebody's you know what about what went wrong. So we really strive hard to find something that went on good the day before that supports the core values and the beliefs that we have here. So Alan, one of our group leaders, read an email from one of our clients that's at an apartment complex. And it's it's a very nice apartment complex that's in downtown Dayton. It's in the, like a warehouse district where they've refurbished these old buildings. And she commented on and on in the email about how polite and kind and friendly all of our people were. And the last line in the email, Mark, said, I didn't really have a chance to look at the landscaping, but I'm sure that was great too. I was so overwhelmed by the compliments from our tenants, I had to tell you. And to me, it's just like, I said, Alan, that's exactly what we have been preaching here, that if you're nice, you get the benefit of the doubt. Now, don't go out and do crappy work. You got to do crappy work, but you can do great work and be a jerk and you won't get back if you're nice and you do great work. Now, look at what we can do. Yeah, the bedrock of, of a successful business is competent and courteous, not competent and rude, not courteous and incompetent. Now, there are a few exceptions. If you have to fly on an airplane and you have to choose between a nice pilot and a skilled pilot, I'd probably make a grumpy skilled pilot. But there, that, that's an exception to the rule. I think that it really and it sound, and I, I, I try not to be negative, but I think um, business is a microcosm of our culture. 
And we live in a culture where people are so used to being self-absorbed that they, they don't think about others. And then they wonder why they feel put upon. If you become a navel gazer, you never have a chance to build relationships. And you, and you hit the nail on the head. We give people we like the benefit of the doubt because we know they'll take care of it. You know, Dr. Cobain at High Point gives uh, all the students his cell phone number. And when he first did that, the faculty says, how can you do that? And he said, how can I not? And, and, and if you're an owner uh, of a green company, every customer should have direct access to you. Chances are they're not going to use it. I always tell people, the only when you go to a hotel, the people who create your entire experience don't have titles. They have positions, bell cap, front desk, housekeeping, room service. The people who create your entire experience are untitled. And I often ask my audiences, how many of you have met the general manager of this hotel? Very few people raise their hand. I said, the only time you meet the general manager is when the people at the front line made you mad and didn't deliver. That's the irony, isn't it? You get to the title leader when, you, when you're upset and you want somebody to take care of it. So I'm not saying, you know, that the reason you give out your number is, is because people are going to be mad at your cruise. I'm just saying make it easy to ask a question and to give feedback. I'd rather know something bad is going on than not know something bad is going on. You know, a lot of people say, well, what if I get a phone call and, and they complain? Well, I guess that's better than not getting a phone call and they complain. That's an opportunity to make it right. And, and <laughs> exactly. Lord only knows what that relationship. Yeah, exactly. The statement, your external customer service will never exceed your internal customer service. It's one of my favorite lines. How do you get that to be true in your company? What are you seeing leaders doing in the vast experience that you have working with big companies, doing business with small companies, speaking to all kinds of groups. How do you get your people to be a threat? You know, the owners that are on here, the leaders, how do they get their people to treat their customers well? Well, you can't make anybody do anything. You know, I, I couldn't make my boys take out the garbage when they lived at home, but, but there are things you can do to increase the odds. First, I'll just say this, you know, hire for fit, not just function. Too often we hire somebody because we think they'll do the job really good, but between their attitude and their lack of, of interpersonal skills, it, it, it's a bad idea. I always say if you want to have a good culture, hire somebody that can do the job and fits into the culture. I'll give your listeners an acronym, and, and I know acronyms can be corny, but they're a good way to remember things. If you want to have more FREDs in, in your organization, uh, use the acronym FRED. First, find the ones you already got. Because what will happen is you'll have people doing really good work, but over time, you're so used to them doing good work that you don't notice, you know? And it's like a, a woman has said to her husband, you, you never tell me you love me anymore. He said, I told you I loved you and I married you. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. You know, and that's a that, really, that won't work real well. really bad old joke. Uh, maybe it's a dad joke today, but but it, there's, there's a, an amount of truth about employees, you know? We, we say we love them when we hire them. And they do good work and we say thanks and they do more good work. and We say, keep up the good job. And eventually we now start focusing on the underperformers. Find the people you've got and find the people in your community. Uh, I have always used heart hunters. If you know somebody that would be a good fit at my little company, let me know. And you use heart hunters before you have a, an opening. Because ideally, especially in 2023, you'd like to have an ongoing relationship so that when you do have an opening, you've already got somebody in the wings or a few people in the wings that could take that, that position. 
But whether you find them internally or externally, the th- second thing you got to do is recognize and reward them. By recognizing, I mean give them attention and even more, give them attention in front of others. The only thing better than private recognition is is public recognition. And by reward, I mean pay them well. I I have a friend who's been a bartender at a place I like to eat pizza, and I think you and I have had a beer there or two, who's been there for 20 years. And they bought bought, it, and the place has undergone a few changes in ownership. But right now, the new owner, they bought in a, a new bartender who's getting paid exactly the same as my friend who's been there 20 years. Now, the guy that's been there 20 years was also took on an extra job because they eliminated a position as beer buyer. And when you have 100 or 150 taps, the beer buyer is a very important position. So I went in there one day and about half the taps had plugs in them because there was only about half as much beer as normal. And my friend said, well, they're not paying me for the time I've been here. And I was doing a job I wasn't being paid for. And now they just hired somebody who's making the same as me. I'm not going to, I'm going to let them buy their own beer. And I thought, how short-sighted can, can any owner or manager be a 20-year employee that's the most knowledgeable person in the joint? How insulting is that? I, I don't, I expect someday soon I won't be seeing him at this particular establishment. So find, recognize, educate, teach people how to be Fred-like. And you know, a good way to do that, Marty, is at staff meetings. Ask people, what's what's the most innovative thing you did this week? What's something you tried that really worked? What did you learn? Because the ideas are out there. They're just embedded in the minds and the experiences of the other, in your case, you know, 89 people or so in the organization. But the big one is the D. And, you know, this is a savvy group. They'll probably see this coming a mile away. Demonstrate. I guarantee you, if you don't act like a Fred yourself, good luck hoping, you know. Yeah. And and, and yesterday at this um, event, guy came up to me afterwards, said, I want to share a short story. So I started out in auto parts. It turns out that one of the sales guys in the field called in an order and I fulfilled it with the wrong part. And when he came into the store, he just ran and raved. And I remember distinctly thinking, I never, ever want to do that to anybody myself. Well, later he became the store manager, had a young woman. She was asked about a part. She was new. She didn't understand the part or anything about it. And the customer complained and he went to her and he said, I'm going to give you a demonstration. He brought in a bunch of parts and, and he educated her on the parts. He said, I I, I, you know, I wanted to make sure we, we didn't do that again. And he said, the greatest grat- satisfaction I got is 20 years later, she's the manager of that store. And, and I said to him, I said, you know, good leaders create good followers. Great leaders create other leaders. Yes, exactly. And, and if you aren't as an owner, uh, as an employer, if you don't have your eye on somebody who could replace you someday, then you're irreplaceable. And that's not a good thing. Unless you like to work until you drop dead, you know, uh, on, on one of your machines. You know, I, we, we all have to grow a replacement. And succession planning, especially among small to mid-sized businesses, isn't usually something they do well. Right. Find, recognize, educate, demonstrate. Great stuff there. One of the things, and I don't know if I learned this from you. I don't think I was smart enough to pick it up myself. But we often say when we're teaching in the grow group that 
the owner and the leader has to be great at what they want the rest of the team to be good at. You've got to be the gold standard, like you said, and demonstrating as a Fred, if you want other people to do that, because whatever you're doing, they're going to emulate it. They're going to, you know, as the leader goes, so goes the company and, and segueing into leadership. I love the Fred factor. I, I read that book and we read it here together as a company. It's amazing. I, I saw a post on LinkedIn the other day. They, there's a company giving out a trophy for their Fred. I mean, you have to just be so proud of, of what that book has done. You and I are, are both friends with Dr. John Maxwell. And the last time I was with John, he said, man, that he said that kid, Mark Sanborn, really came up with a winner with that one, didn't he? Except John's come up with about 80 winners. Yeah, it's maybe, maybe 100. Right. John. Yeah, but he called you a kid. He calls me a kid. I love the guy, but I digress. I want to talk about your other book that, quite frankly, has probably made a bigger impact on my personal organization around the philosophy that we've adopted that I think makes entry-level people it makes them perk up. And it's this concept that the the definition, and I actually say my favorite definition of a leader is one I've learned from Mark Sanborn. And that is that a leader is someone who makes things better. And that's maybe a little bit of a derivative of what no, you that's, say. That's spot on. But talk to us about where did that concept come from? You teach on that Enlighten us here in the last 11 minutes or so we have on this concept around you don't need a title to be a leader because, you know, like the bartender you just spoke of, he's a leader. He's impacting more people in that company than anybody else, most likely. And it is short-sighted for them to look at that. How do you get somebody to see the impact they can make around that concept of you don't need a title to be a leader? I've been working in the leadership space probably for almost 20 years when I was having coffee with a, a manager of a technology company and he just told me this quick story and I'll, I'll paraphrase it quickly. He said, you know, I had this really big project and I thought about who on my team could lead it. And I went to a guy, let's call him Phil. And I told Phil about it. And I said, it's a, it, it's an important project. It's going to take a lot of work, but I think you're the guy to lead it. And Phil says, well, I suppose if I, I say yes, she'll give me a, a title. And at this company, director was the coveted title. This guy was not a director. And, and it bothered my friend a little bit because he didn't know if, if Phil thought he needed a title as a reward or maybe thought he needed a title to get the job done. And he went back to the drawing board. He retracted the offer. And there was a woman who was a contract employee. So she, you know, he had even less power over her, but he, he knew she was good. And he went to her and he'd learned a little bit uh, from his first conversation, he said, look, I want you to head this project. Uh, you know, I can't pay you more, you know that. And uh, because you're a contract employee, I, I can't give you a title. And she said, that's okay. I don't need a title to be a leader. And that, my friend, is when the light bulb clicked on. Because we all know that. I mean, this is not a concept that we don't intuitively understand. When we meet somebody who isn't a titled leader, we know that they're a leader in, 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 in power and skill, if not in, in position and title. But what was interesting is I wondered, you know, okay, how do I write a book about that? And in my leadership work, I talked about basically six behaviors. Some people study leadership traits. I'm more of a fan of what could be learned behavior. That way, anybody can learn to lead better. If you've got to be a philanthropist at heart, you know, there might be a lot of good leaders that maybe that they're not a philanthropist at heart. 
So I looked at my six things and I realized not one of those things did you need a title to get done. You know, it was about power with people. It was about self-mastery. It was about, you know, influencing through communication. And so I, I wrote this book so that anybody at any level, if they chose, could learn to lead or lead better. And, and this is the summation of the book. The only thing better than having a good leader at the top is having great leaders at the top and the bottom and in between. You know, Philip of Macedonia said an army of lions uh, or an army of sheep led by a lion is more to be feared than an army of lions led by a sheep. And, and you know, that's true. I think what we do is we, we, we try to develop uh, an inner circle, call it a, a C-suite we try to develop this leadership team. What we should be trying to develop is a leadership organization. Now, that doesn't mean everybody has the same power or authority or knows the same things. What they have to know, and, and in the time we have left, this is the big idea. Another acronym, I like stuff I can remember. The older I get, the more I need to be able to remember stuff. <laughs> Me too. All leaders, whether they're entry-level employees or not, increase ROI. Now, ROI is an accounting term, return on investment. The way you increase your ROI is by improving relationships, outcomes, and suggesting improvements. So I say to my team, look, you got a chance to build a better relationship with a vendor or a customer. That makes you a leader. You got an opportunity to, to, to get a, a better result or you have an idea, a suggestion that will improve the process. You, you have carte blanche authority to pursue those three things. Because I think a lot of people want to lead. They just, they don't know two things. They don't know that they can, that they have permission, and then they don't know how. So if you give people permission, teach them some basic skills about what leaders do. And that's why, even though it's, it's a very simple definition, and, and I'll add one idea, because you know I'm a speaker, I keep thinking of stuff. Leaders make things better. But where I see a big difference is if you do something out of ambition, that doesn't make you a leader. It makes you ambitious. When you do something as a leader, you may benefit from it, but others benefit. That's the difference between ambition and leadership. Leadership benefits the greater good. Now, personal leadership benefits you. I, I get that. But if you're truly a leader, you're making your organization better, your department better, you're making your employees better. You're making the outcome for your customer better. In other words, it's not just about you, which kind of is full circle to what we talked about with this idea of self-absorption uh, at the beginning of the podcast. So we're on the Grow Show powered by Steel. We have New York Times bestselling author and my buddy, Mark Sanborn, that's joined us. Mark has taught at Grow in the Past. Grow is February 6th, 7th, and 8th, Des Moines, Iowa. We've got a great event planned. We're going to be talking about leadership. We're going to be talking about customer service there. We hope that you'll join us. Mark, we got about four minutes left in the Grow Show. You're an Ohio State grad, OH. IO. <laughs> IO. I've got one of those in my house. My daughter's an Ohio State grad. I want to talk about the economy and what you see. You and I have been through a lot of different things, ups and downs. We have some experience. I have some gray hair. What in the world, according to Mark Sanborn, what advice in terms of business for the rest of 2023? What is your outlook on business? What are you seeing? Well, a few things. First of all, I'm not a futurist. Predicting the future is easy. Predicting it correctly is really hard. I'm a presentologist. I try to look at what we know for sure and, and go forward. Here's the big idea, because the economy and what happens, monetary policy and the consumer price index, the VIX, 
Uh, those are all things beyond our control. And they're all lagging indicators. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's really hard to plan using the past as, as your benchmark. Here's what I learned in COVID, and, and it's one of my favorite ideas now to talk about. Business people like certainty, and certainty is really overrated. I didn't have a single friend that was certain there'd be a plague in 2020. I think certainty is even harder than it was 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. So what's the option? Confidence. Confidence is the belief, and here's the key, skill set to handle whatever happens. In other words, you don't know what's going to happen. That is so good. Say that one more time. Confidence is the belief and the skill set to handle whatever happens. Exactly. And you teach your whole organization that. I love that. Folks, everyone here ought to be writing that down, rewinding that. That is a golden. And, and you know, COVID, COVID didn't change anything, but it accelerated everything. There was nothing that happened because of COVID that wasn't on the horizon. Remote work. By the way, isn't it interesting? And, of course, in the green business, you know, and in and, and home services, you know, you guys were heroes because you had to go out there and exactly. interact. Right. And I love, I love first responders and police officers and firemen. And I have the greatest respect for them, but I think we kind of forgot that a lot of the services that kept our homes in repair and kept our, our property good were done by people who were taking just as much risk, maybe not quite at the health level to, to go out and do it. But here's the thing in corporate America, we said, Oh, you can't do remote work. Won't work. And by golly, if it has to, you know, and, and that's what I think we have to do is, is I've got a friend who, who doesn't like this because he's a big planning and process guy. But I say in 2023, agility and innovation trump planning and process every time. Why? Agility means you can adjust on the fly. Innovation means you keep trying stuff. If it works, you keep doing it. If it doesn't, you stop doing it. And I'm talking. And so process says you find a way that works and you keep doing it even if it doesn't work because you already found a way that worked and it's going to be a pain in the neck to find a different right. way that works. You know, right. Seth Godin 30 years ago called it the, the stuck winning model. And right. I, I, I'm paraphrasing him. Uh, he For the said reports that, on Tuesday. Uh, yeah. He said, he said, we, we do things that work. So we keep doing them. And when they stop working, we just do more of them. I mean, you know, it's the idea that, well, it used to work. And, and so that's why I say flexibility that which is agility, agility and innovation, Trump planning and process every time. I do. I'll, I'll tell you this. Here's the homework. If your listeners don't know what the Laffler curve is, just just Google Laffler curve. Laffler curve says you, you, you get to a point of taxation where any more taxes are a disincentive to work. The greatest management principle in the world from my my longtime friend, my, Dr. Michael LaBeouf, you, what gets rewarded gets done. When you reward people, when you incentivize people for making more money, they'll make more money. When you penalize people for making more money, there is no incentive to make more money. We need to, I, we need to, and I don't want to get on my soapbox, but it makes me nuts when people say wealthy people and organizations need to pay, pay their fair share. If I've got 10 lawnmowers and you've got 100 lawnmowers and we, we have to give one or 10% of our lawnmowers to the government every year, I give the government one, you give them 10. That's pretty fair to me. If I give them the government one, but you have to give them 30, that, you know what fair means? Listen to this. Fair means no favoritism or discrimination. Progressive taxes favor 
people at the lower earning end of the spectrum and discriminate people at the higher end. As a capitalist, and it's an imperfect system, when the economy is stimulated to produce and grow rather than taxed and reallocated, my opinion, I don't know. I mean, I, I'll go so far as to say history would say that you're correct. So, Mark, it's been awesome to be with you. Gave tons of morsels here. I love the part there about the agility and innovation trumps planning. Be flexible. Folks, I, I hope you enjoyed the last 40 minutes as much as I did. You know, Mark, we haven't been able to see each other in person, I think, in a couple of years now. But I'm reminded of how much I learn every time I listen and talk to you. And I'm also thinking about all the fun times we've had together. We'll, we'll check in with you again on The Grow Show in, in a future episode. Tell everyone how we can get a hold of you, where we can buy your books, how we can follow you more closely. Single copies of my books go to Barnes & Noble's online, Amazon. Uh, we don't handle single copies anymore. We just do some bulk fulfillment. But to find out about all of my work, just go to Mark Sanborn, M-A-R-K-S-A-N-B-O-R-N.com. It's all there. And uh, Marty, I'm proud of your continued growth and success uh, I'm not responsible for it, but I'm proud of you, and I'm I'm grateful for your friendship. Just know that I appreciate you. Well, hey, I've learned a lot from you. You've you've shown me what's possible, and you've legitimized me to countless other folks that I've learned a ton from. So, you're a gem. We'll talk soon. Go Bucks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Grow Show. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And head to growgroupinc.com for more information and resources to grow your landscaping business. A special thanks to the folks at Steel, whose support makes this podcast possible and whose reliable handheld power equipment makes our jobs easier daily. We'll talk to you next week.